0: Well, good morning, everyone. I want to thank you for making Golden Corner Church a part of your Memorial Day weekend plans. I can't tell you how much that means to me. I'm glad you're here because I have someone I want you to meet. I'm going to introduce you to a man named David. And I'm assuming that most of you have already heard of him. Because I am talking about David as in David and Goliath. That's the David I'm talking about. The Bible is filled with stories about people. Have you ever wondered why? Apparently there are people who lived in the past that God felt... Everyone ought to know. So he put their story, or at least part of their story, in his eternal book called the Bible. People like Abraham and his beloved wife Sarah. People like Moses, Joshua, and Ruth. People like Elijah and his successor, Elisha. People like Joseph. And Esther. But of all the people whose stories are found in the Bible, perhaps God wanted us to know David better than anyone. Did you know that 66 chapters of the Old Testament are devoted to telling us David's story? About 75 of the songs or poems that David wrote are published in the Old Testament book of Psalms. And in addition to all this, David is mentioned 59 times in the New Testament. The Bible has more to say about David than Abraham, Joseph, Jacob, Elijah, and Elisha combined. So for the next several weeks, we're going to study the Bible and hopefully really get to know David. Now I know what some of you just thought. Oh, man, this next series sounds like a real sleeper. (laughs) I mean, who needs to get to know a man that's been dead for almost 3,000 years? Well, maybe you do. You ever feel you're on the outside looking in? Ever feel overlooked, left out, all alone? If so, you need to get to know David. Do you ever feel that compared to others, you just don't measure up? Do you see yourself as a big nobody? It'd be good if you could get to know David. Are you currently facing insurmountable odds? Maybe this morning you found yourself. In the shadow of a problem that is much greater than you. If so, you're the one who needs to get to know David. Has God ever made you a promise that he hasn't kept? Maybe years have passed and you don't see any trace of evidence that he's ever going to keep that promise. It would do you well to get to know David. Has someone singled you out and made you their target? Is there someone in your world that seems to exist just to bring you pain? If so, David had someone like that in his life. Have you blown it? I mean, you've really made a major, public, and embarrassing mistake. If so, you're in the right place because David did too. Are you a struggling parent? Are your kids driving you nuts? David had that same problem. Have you ever been betrayed by a trusted friend? Someone from your inner circle just stabbed you right in the back. Well, you and David have a lot in common. Would you like to do something great for God, but you feel you're just too human, just too flawed? If so, there's somebody you got to meet, man. You have got to meet David. But before I introduce you to David, i got to introduce you to two other guys, okay? I want you to whisper a little prayer right now in your heart, but I want you to whisper it very sincerely, God, help me get this. God, help me get this because we're going to go over some foundational stuff right now. And that's kind of a preacher forewarning that the next 15 minutes could be really, really boring. So pray that God will help you get this, okay? The first man I've got to introduce you to is a guy named Samuel. For most of his life, Samuel occupied the position of judge in Israel. Now, when we think of a judge, we think of somebody who had... Uh, Judicial authority and responsibilities. Well, Samuel occupied the position of judge, and it was a multifaceted leadership role. Uh, Samuel was, for a period of time, the leader of the entire nation, and he did occupy the highest ranking position of judge in his country and. He was the national prophet to his people. Which means when God had something to say to Israel, he spoke to Samuel first and said, Now you go tell them. And he was the national priest of Israel, which means he more than anybody was responsible to pray for his country. Samuel was a big, big deal. He was kind of like the president and a Supreme Court Justice and Billy Graham all rolled into one person. As a judge, he excelled. He was unselfish. He was faithful. He was godly. He was effective. As he aged, Samuel planned to turn his position over to his two sons. However, they were nothing like him. Those two apples fell far from the tree. They were corrupt self-serving and ungodly the thought of those two losers taking charge of a nation prompted the elders of israel to meet with samuel and in that meeting they informed samuel we want to go in a different direction you're old you're fading out of the picture your sons they're not going to cut it we've got a new idea we want to do something completely different give us a king we don't want to be ruled by judges anymore give us a king now this request displeased Samuel, and then also the Bible said displeased God. God planned to give Israel a king, but not now. The timing of this request was all wrong. And not only was the timing wrong, the Israelite motives were all wrong. God wanted to give them a king, but they had said, we want a king because we want to be like everybody else. You know, we want a king who will lead us in a battle. We want a king who will make decisions for us. We want to be a king because all our neighbors have kings. God wanted to give them a king, but not so that they could be like everyone else. So how do you suppose God responded to their request? You say, Ronnie, I guess God bowed up on them and said, No, that's not what I want, and so I will not allow you to have your way. Right? Wrong. God told Samuel, give them what they want. But forewarn them. Tell them how this is all going to work out if they choose their will over my will. So Samuel called a meeting with the elders, and he delivered a solemn warning from God. And he said, and I paraphrase, guys, if you get a king, this is the way it's going to go down. This is what's going to happen. In the beginning, it's going to, be, it's going to work fantastic, I, I can assure you. It's going to be great. But the situation will deteriorate, and things are going to go sour at some point. And this, the king you've chosen, he's going to abuse His authority, he's going to use his position, he's going to bleed the country dry. There will come a time when the entire nation is suffering the consequences of your decision to have a king. And you will beg for relief, and man, get this, he said, you'll beg for relief, and I'm not going to respond to your request. I spit all over the place on that. At all. Samuel delivers that message and he said, okay, do you still want a king? Now get this. What's wrong with us? Now we're 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 just like What's wrong with us? They got this is, God said, this is, a, this is the way it's gonna work out. Do you still want a king? They said, absolutely, we still want a king. Samuel went to God and God said, do what they say, give them a king. Give them what they want. Sometime later, through a sequence of events, only God could have orchestrated. God led Samuel to a young man named Saul. And that's the second guy I've got to introduce you to before I introduce you to David. Saul came from a wealthy family. And the Bible said he was the most handsome man in all of his country. And man, do I know how to relate to that. (laughs) It's a cross that I have to bear, but... uh... The Bible said not only was the most handsome man in, his, in the country, he stood head and shoulders above any other man. Through Samuel's leadership, Saul became Israel's first king. And man, the people were excited. They had what they wanted. And just as God said in the beginning, everything was fantastic. Saul showed flashes of brilliance as a leader. Their armies won victory after victory. The nation prospered. Everything was great until Saul blatantly disobeyed God. Saul did something we're all prone to do. He resorted to situational ethics. God had told him very clearly, don't ever do this, don't ever do this, don't ever do this. He, I mean, it was a sign. Whatever you do, don't ever do this. And One day, Saul found himself in a situation, and he said, even though I know... It's the wrong thing to do. I think in this situation it would be the right thing to do. And so I'm going to make an exception. I'm going to do it. And when he did, he disobeyed God. He sinned. And about the time he sinned, Samuel showed up. And when Samuel showed up, Samuel spoke up and said to Saul, and I want you to see what he said. It's recorded in the Bible, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 13, verse 13 through 14. Saul has just sinned. Samuel shows up and looks at his boss and said, How foolish! Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Now this next sentence is huge. Had you kept it. You want know how gracious God is? Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Even though it was not God's perfect will, it was a concession. God said, I tell you what, even though I didn't want you in this position, even though the timing's all right, even though I only you're only there because I conceded, I tell you what, if you'd have done right, it's you. Man. What a gracious God we serve. But look, make sure you see what he said. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom. But now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. You got any idea who he's talking about there? David. What just happened? God fired Saul. God fired Saul for insubordination. Here's a principle worth noting. To lead God's people, you've got to be led by God. To lead God's people, you've got to be led by God. God essentially said to Saul, if you won't follow, you won't lead. If you won't follow me, you won't lead my people. You're out, and I've already chosen your replacement. From this point on, things really started going downhill. Saul continued to make rash Foolish, poor decisions. It got so bad that even his soldiers called his judgment into question. It all came to a head when once again Saul deliberately disobeyed God. God said, here's what I want you to do. Saul said, let me modify that. I think I see a better way. For selfish gain, Saul refused to do exactly as God had told him. And wouldn't you know it, once again, about the time you sinned, the preacher showed up. Samuel showed up. And when he showed up, he spoke up. And I want you to look at what he said to Saul. It's found in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. He said, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And for those of you who are like me who have a stubborn streak a mile wide, the next statement's going to be a little tough to swallow. He said, Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Dang. Oh, I said dang in a sermon. I'm sorry about that. Live with it (laughs) He goes on to say So because you rejected the command of the Lord He's rejected you as king Saul said you're right I did wrong I sinned And then he looked at Samuel and said I I got a request from you Would you go to church with me You say I bet you that Saul Was wanting to go to church to make things right with God Wasn't he Oh no He wanted Samuel to go to church with him so that it would appear that everything was okay. Look how Samuel responds to his request. First Samuel 15, verse 26 through 28. But Samuel replied, I'll not go back with you. Since you've rejected the Lord's command, he's rejected you as king of Israel. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. Samuel recognized this is a teachable moment. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. Who do you think that was? David. In time, these two men went their separate ways. Which leads me to one of the saddest verses in the Bible. I want you to read 1 Samuel verse 15 through 35. Samuel never went to meet with Saul again. But he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he ever made Saul king of Israel. Well, as I was studying this week, I got to that verse and God said, stop. Stop. There's a lesson there. And it's the lesson I want you to share with the people Sunday. I said, good, I will. I just don't have any idea what it is. So I called Tim McCall in the office. I read this to him and said, what's the moral of this story? Tim said, I don't have a clue. I said, thank you for your help, man. It's been a great So that night I read this story to Lynn. I read that verse and said, Lynn, what's the moral of this story? She said, I don't have any idea. I went to bed and I was lying there like a bolt of lightning. God said, here's the moral of your story. There is a point of no return. I began to weep. I jumped out of the bedroom, scared Linda to death. She's like, what? I said, i got the moral of the story. There's a point of no return. Let me explain myself. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me, okay? I've got just a few minutes worth, and that's a lie. i probably got 15 more minutes, but just hang with me, okay? There are two ways to live life, our way and God's way. And the choice is always left to us. We can choose to live our way, or we can choose to live God's way. I think this is illustrated in the story I just shared with you. Israel had a plan, and God had a different plan. God let Israel choose, and they chose their plan. I see it again in in Saul, in in his life. Saul had this bad habit of constantly choosing to do things his way instead of the way God told him plainly to do it. With that in mind, think about that last verse we read. Saul, excuse me, Samuel mourned constantly for Saul. The word mourn means to ache, to be in anguish, to be extremely sorrowful or heartbroken. It's a word that describes how people feel when they've lost someone to death. Samuel was mourning as if someone died when no one had died. Why? In this case, it wasn't that someone died, it was something that died. Now I want you to listen to me. You're with me? Opportunity died. Opportunity died. Samuel was mourning because he saw what could have been. And sadly, what never would be. If Saul had only done things God's way, God would have built a dynasty through him. Saul was graciously given opportunity after opportunity to do something great and eternal for God. But he kept rejecting God's way and choosing to do things his way. Saul kept saying no to God until God finally said no to him. Did you get that? Saul kept saying no to God. No, 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 no. And one day God said no to Saul. And God said, no, it had a ring of finality about it. God actually said, never. God would never give Saul the opportunity to fix this situation. Saul would never be given the opportunity to make things right with God. Saul would never be given the opportunity to pursue the plan that God had for his life. Saul had chosen his way over God's way so many times that God refused to give him any more opportunities to pursue This meant there were blessings that Saul would never receive, battles he would never win, and things he would never accomplish. God's plan for Saul was dead. That's why Samuel was mourning. Saul passed the point of no return. There was no going back. There was no fixing this. It was over. It was settled. Now, you should have a question for me. Ronnie, do you think it's possible that we can pass the point of no return? I do. I think we can say no to God so many times that eventually he says never to us. I think this can happen to non-Christians. And I think sometimes this happens to Christians. Now, let's get real, real involved here. Let's get real engaged. You see, Ronnie, let's start with non-Christians. How would this look for a non-Christian? There is one really big opportunity that God extends to every non-Christian, and that's the opportunity to become a Christian. The opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior, be forgiven, reconciled with God, and go to heaven instead of hell. And I believe that since God is gracious, merciful, and loving, that he extends that opportunity to every human being that ever walked this earth at least once. But he gives them the choice. You choose. You choose. It's your choice. I think because God is patient, he probably extends that opportunity to non-Christians more than once. Your call. If that person says... Not now. I'm I'm a teenager. I'm sowing my wild oats. Not now, but maybe one day. Maybe God offers again when they're in college. Well, not now. No, I'm going to pass because I'm pursuing my degree. Young parents, not now. We've got these young'uns we're trying to raise, trying to take... And they just keep saying, no, 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 no. I believe this. At some point, God may very well respond to their no with a never and say, forget it. I won't bother you anymore. I'm just not going to bother you anymore. Does God find pleasure in that? You know, did you catch that sentence when the Bible said that, that God was sorry he ever made Saul king? Did you catch that? Let me tell you something. I read... I don't know how many commentaries this week asking the question, what in the world does that mean? Most commentaries don't refer to it because it's extremely difficult to understand. But the best definition I can come up with is, you know what that meant? It meant God grieved that it came to killing his plans for Saul. It grieved him to do that. He didn't take any pleasure in it. And I think non-Christians can say no to God to the point that he will eventually say never to them. Forget it. I won't bother anymore. You say, you got examples of that in the Bible? Yeah. What about, what about the world prior to the great flood? You know what God said? I won't bother anymore. Noah and his family was spared and... God didn't send anybody out on a rescue mission. You know why? Those people have said no to him so much that God now said never to them. What about the city, people who lived in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities called the cities of the plain? Same thing. One day God said, I've tried and I've tried and I've spoken. I've spoken. I've warned and I've warned. And they're not, they're not coming around. They've said no to me so much that I'm saying never to them. It's done. Done. This is an aspect of God. to talk about. You got to understand who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with God, right? What about the citizens of that are talked about in the Book of Jonah? You know where they were. They were on the line. They were right on the point of no return. They were there. One more step, God would have said never. He sends a prophet in and said, you tell them this. I'm going to give them 40 days. I'm going to give them 40 days. It was a warning. And if they do not say yes to me, I'll say never to them. And I'll drop the hammer on them. So, Ronnie, what you're saying is there are people out here, non-Christian people, that can't be reached because they have crossed the point of no return. That's what I'm saying. There's some out there. Now, let me tell you what some of you just thought. I know some, preacher. I know some. I'm going to tell you something. No, you don't. God never gave any one of us the ability to distinguish from somebody that could be saved and somebody that couldn't. We don't have that ability. You know what we've got? We've got a responsibility to love everybody, pray for everybody, and share Christ with everybody. You have no way of knowing. I remember one time, I, me and Jimmy McMahon, this was years ago, I was up at the church at Salem, and we'd been deer hunting and down in Lawrence County on a Saturday morning. So we'd had our lunch, and we were riding around, riding up and down these gravel roads, and we were talking. And we began to talk about a gentleman whose family attended our church, somebody that we really, we we desperately wanted to see him saved. And this is what I said. I don't know if he can be reached. I have prayed for him for years. I have witnessed to him over and over and over. He shows absolutely no response. And this is how I described him. I said, he is one tough nut. you want to know if God's got a sense of humor? That was on a Saturday. That Sunday morning, I had my Bible and my notes. I walked up to the pulpit, looked out, and that guy was sitting with his wife and his son. I preached a sermon, gave an invitation. He got saved and was transformed into the most wonderful Christians I'd ever known. So so much for what I know. Let me tell you something. You say, I know some lost cause. No, you don't. Only God knows that. You say, well, how would this look for a Christian person? So you're... Oh my gosh, I'm already on overtime. But boy, i got to tell you, this is critical. I'll just take the brunt of the children's workers and they can bludgeon me to death after this if they want to. But i, I got to share this with you. How does it work for Christians? Well, After you're saved, God continues to, to just bring opportunity after opportunity to us. Opportunities to, to know Him in a, in a personal way a very real way to have an intimate relationship with him. He becomes our best friend. He presents that opportunity, the opportunity to evolve into a Christ-like person, the opportunity to make a lasting positive difference in the lives of other people, the opportunity to live life on a level that we can't achieve on our own. Can't even understand that he referred to as the full life, and he brings those opportunities. Now, who wouldn't want to take advantage of those opportunities? They sound wonderful, but this is what God says. Now, you can seize this opportunity if you live life my way and not your way. Which means to do this, you can't do this anymore. And you're going to have to make this a habit. And this is what I'm afraid we have a tendency to do. Well, not now. Try back later. Or no, that's not something I want to do. And here's what I believe happens. I believe at some point when we as Christians go, no, 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 no. No, there comes a point where God says, never. Just forget it. I won't bother you anymore. You say, does that mean that we, uh, he doesn't love us? No, his love is unconditional and eternal. He, he loves you much as if he's flipped the switch off as if the switch is still on. Does it mean that we're no longer his kid? He disowns us, kicks us out of the family. Oh, no, no, that relationship is permanent. Does it mean we're not going to heaven? Now we're ended up going to end up in hell. It's like, we're no, no, listen, that's all fixed, settled, done. You say, what does it mean? It means everything in between the day he saved you and the day he planned for you to go to heaven, everything he had planned for you, you just missed that. It means you settled for your best rather than his best. Because after all, you get to make the choice. And there is that danger of coming to the point that when God offers you opportunity after opportunity, but to seize the opportunity, you've got to live his way, not yours. You just go, no, I'm not doing that. God says, got the message. I won't bother you anymore. Just go on with your life. I will say this. It's going to make the judgment seat of Christ a very painful experience because the Bible teaches that as Christians, we're all going to stand before Jesus one day. And got to give an account for our life. And if, if listen, if it came to this, and you crossed that point of no return, you're going to stand before him, and this is what this is the way the conversation is going to go. If you would have, I would have, just like I did with Saul. If you would have, I would have. If you had lived my way, I'd have given you these blessings. If you would have lived my way, I would have done this for you. If you would have lived my way, I would have prevented that. I would never have allowed that. If you would have lived my way, I would have used you to accomplish this. But you wouldn't, so I couldn't. You know what some of you are asking yourself? I wonder if this has happened to me. I'm going to give you my opinion on that. If you ask that question, there's a good chance it hasn't happened. But if you had, if if the thought of crossing a point of no return struck some measure of fear in your heart, I'll tell you what it's probably telling you about yourself. Somewhere in your life, there's probably a pattern of disobedience. There's probably an area of your life where you're going, no, 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 no. You know where that pattern is leading you? It's leading you to a point of no return. You say you got examples of this. You got examples of this, Ronnie. Biblical, Moses. He was God's man. One day God said, "I want you to do this." He said, "No." God said, "Never. You're never going in the land." I love you, son. I love you. But that was one no too many. So I'm saying never. What about the children of Israel? Numbers thirteen fourteen. God said, here's your land. They said, no. God said, okay. Never. I don't know what kind of God you thought you served coming in here. You need to understand something. He's a God that has that right. And if pushed, he'll exercise that right. What do we do with this? If there is a point of no return, what should we do? Don't take God for granted. God is gracious, God is merciful, God is loving, God is patient. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes God's patience as long-suffering. God is so patient that it's extremely difficult to exhaust His patience. However, it can be done. We humans can exhaust God's patience by constantly saying no to Him. We can exhaust God's patience by constantly rejecting the opportunities He offers us. We can exhaust God's patience by constantly refusing to live His way and constantly insisting on living our way. Do you know one of the reasons we find it so easy to say no to God? We take Him for granted. Listen carefully to me. Listen, guys. We believe the opportunity we passed on today will still be available tomorrow. It might, but it might not. We can pass the point of no return. If we keep saying no to God, he will eventually say never to us. You say, Ronnie, when? How many no's do we get? Is it eight? Can I say no to God eight times? 28? 178? How many of these do I get before he goes never? I don't know. And neither do you. The next time we say no to God. Might be the very time he says never to us. He might close the door on his opportunities for good. And we all need to live in awareness of that. It's time to stop taking God and his opportunities for granted. And it's time to stop saying no or not now to God. It's time to choose his way. It's time to say yes and be- begin cooperating with him. It's time to live in such a way that we never pass the point of no return. Let's pray together. God, I am not exactly sure how I should pray. I can thank you for being a good God and a fair God. I can sure thank you that you're a patient God. Lord, I'm going to assume that we humans, we have a tendency to take you for granted. And just assume that we can almost treat you any way we want. For as long as we want. With no repercussions. I pray that if nothing else, we walk out of here today with a healthy respect for you. And a real appreciation for how patient you have already been with all of us. And a new resolve. That we're going to choose to live life your way. So that we take no chances of ever crossing this point of no return. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Next week, I'll introduce you to David. You're dismissed.